can have a seat. That is my favorite Christmas song. That's become my favorite over the, the last few years. Um, and uh, I, I just love uh, the, the idea of Emmanuel, um, the, that God is finally with us. You know, thinking about it throughout the, the Old Testament, all the waiting, all the hope, all the expectation. Uh, and on Christmas, we celebrate that God uh, kept his promise that God is here, Emmanuel, God with us. So before we dive in uh, to, to this Christmas series, why don't we pray together? Emmanuel, God with us, thank you, Lord, for, for knowing what we need and for, and for covering us for providing uh, the very thing that we need at the very time that we need it. Um, Father, thank you for not leaving us on our own to to flounder around and figure things out. Father, thank you for for coming near to us so that we can come near to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So I get the reputation um, around here of kind of being the staff Grinch. and I love Christmas. I, I promise I do. Um, I, it's really true. But there are those on staff who would like to start celebrating Christmas in the fall, in you know October and November. And look, I love Thanksgiving. I'm on record that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. But once we clear Thanksgiving, I'm all about Christmas. I love Christmas songs. Uh, I like cold weather. I know not everyone's there with me, but I do. I like cold weather. Um, I like hunting around to find just the right gifts for the people I love. I don't, I'm not going to shop off your Amazon list. I'm going to find something different that I think you, you really need. Um, I like finding gifts. I, I like putting up the tree. Um, I actually like that stuff. I like hanging the ornaments. I like eating the cookies. Uh, that's, I, that's a part of Christmas I like. Um, but I find that my favorite thing about Christmas uh, changes. Uh, and over the years, especially, it has kind of shifted. When I was a kid, I, I loved getting presents. I think most kids uh, are, are in that, that category. They love getting presents. And uh, as I was growing up, uh, my family uh, hosted a, a Christmas sing-along in our house every year. Uh, my mom would play the piano, and, and my dad uh, would, would lead the singing um, as best as he could. My dad was an adequate singer, and so he would, he would lead the singing. Mom would play the piano, and the whole family uh, would gather uh, and just kind of cram into our house, and we would sing Christmas songs for hours and hours. We had a, a, a song book that my mom put together that had any Christmas song you could think of, plenty you've never heard of. Uh, we sang them. You know, we take requests and we go through the book and and sing our songs. And so I learned to love uh, Christmas songs as I got older. That became my favorite part of Christmas was uh, singing the songs and seeing all my my relatives goofing around in in my house was pretty awesome. And um, when I first got married and had kids, uh, I started to enjoy giving gifts more than than getting gifts. I always feel awkward now as an adult, like when someone gets me a gift, I don't know what to do with my hands. And so uh, I I like giving gifts, um, especially to to my kids. That's uh, been, been kind of a thing. But right now, in, in this stage in my life where I am right now, none of those things is my favorite thing about Christmas. Uh, at this stage in my life, I'm all about the Christmas lights. I, I don't know if, if anybody else is, is there with me. Um, when I was a kid, I remember this wasn't my deal. 
you know, my parents would load all of us into the van and we'd go driving around to see the lights. And it was like the most lame, boring thing. Like, oh, I get in the car, we're gonna drive around. Like I could be doing anything else, playing video games or something. But, but now I do the exact same thing to my kids. Like, yeah, we're gonna go see the lights. You know, let's get in the car. And, uh, and we, last year we drove to Peoria, um, at like lots of, that's our first time doing that. And, and it was just one of those things that a lot of stuff was closed last year. And so it's like, oh, what can we do? Uh, and, and we saw the Festival of Lights, which actually won, by the way, there's a national contest on ABC last year and the Peoria Festival of Lights won it. Um, and man, it was worth it. It was totally worth the drive. It was worth the ticket price. It was cool. It was really great. Um, Hickory, uh, the, the golf course uh, up at Hickory Point uh, did a, 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 what is it, Trees on the Tees is what they did last year. And that was super cool. We got tickets to that. Um, we got to drive golf carts around and like see all the Christmas trees. And halfway through the drive, my kids realized that they didn't have to have a driver's license in order to be able to drive the golf cart. So like we had to do like a, a, like a Chinese fire drill and run around and like change and, and you know, drive the, like, you know, 13 year old driving a golf cart. Um, and so that was super fun. They're doing that again this year. Um, uh, and then two years ago, my family spent Christmas at Disney World, which is where another family is right now that I won't name, but it's why I'm preaching today. Um, and uh, and we spent our family Christmas at Disney World. And you can imagine at Disney World how far over the top they go with their lights and their decorations and their, and their Christmas display. It's, it's really, really incredible. And I'll tell you, nothing gets me in the Christmas spirit faster than Christmas lights. I really do love Christmas lights. Um, and so I guess it's appropriate that, that Steve gave me this message to preach on Christmas. Uh, the series this year is called Christmas All Around Us. Uh, and each week this, this month, we're going to look at a, a unique Christmas tradition uh, from around the world to see what it can teach us about Jesus. And, uh, and as you might have guessed, uh, today's Christmas tradition involves lights. Uh, it's called the Giant Lantern Festival, and it takes place every year in the city of Fer San Fernando in the Philippines. And you may not know this, but the Philippines are known for celebrating the world's longest Christmas season. It's like the opposite of like my foundational core principles, right? Their celebration starts with caroling and decorating on September 1st, like officially, right? And it lasts until the middle of January. They go all the way till Epiphany and sometimes past. And that time in the Philippines, they, they call it the Burr Months, September, October, November, December, the Burr months, right? For four months, the Burr months are all about Christmas. And, uh, and in mid-December, in, in, you know, kind of coming up on the, the end of their celebration, about a week and a half before Christmas Day, they hold the Giant Lantern Festival. And they have these teams of designers and electricians from all the surrounding villages, uh, and they, they come and they build these, these colorful, intricate, enormous lanterns. And these lanterns measure up to 20 feet tall. They're allowed to have up to 10,000 light bulbs as part of the lantern. Uh, and each one is programmed to put on a seven-minute light show set to, to music. Um, now, obviously, that wasn't always the case. That's modern technology, the way they've adapted their festival. This year's competition is on December 16th. I don't know if they're live streaming or anything, but it's on December 16th, um, and it'll be the 113th annual Giant Lantern Festival. So th they've been doing this in the Philippines for a long, long time. And the lanterns weren't always this big. Uh, the, the, at the beginning of the festival, they started as small, uh, colorful lights known as perils, uh, and, and they were used to light the procession to the nightly Christmas mass at the local church. Families would walk to the church after dark, 
with the lantern that they had made to light their way uh, to the church. And they had, a, they had a nightly mass each night for nine nights in a row leading up to Christmas. This was a, 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 a long-held tradition in the Philippines. And so each night for nine nights in a row, the family would gather and they would walk to church with the light that they had made lighting their way. Uh, and then on the ninth night, which was Christmas Eve, they would go to the Christmas Eve service, they would carry their light, and then they would hang that light up in the church, and they would decorate the church with these family lanterns, these, these perils that they had made, that they had created. And the most common one that you'll see if you go looking around for them is a star. The most common shape is the star of Bethlehem uh, that guided the wise men to the manger after Jesus was born. Um, and, 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 but that's just one of many connections in the Bible between Jesus and light. At Christmas time, we think about the star, and certainly we should, uh, this light that guided uh, the, the wise men to Jesus. But there's lots of other stuff in the Bible that connects God and light together. And, and Jesus was at a festival that was kind of like this festival in the Philippines. I mean, they didn't have, you know, motorized lanterns set to music, I don't think. Uh, but he was at this festival that was kind of like the one in the Philippines in John eight twelve, when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this festival that Jesus was at happened every year in autumn. Uh, the Jewish people celebrated their harvest uh, with the Festival of Tabernacles. It's also called the, uh, the Feast of Booths, uh, it's sometimes known as. And the idea of that festival is kind of like Thanksgiving for us. It happens at the, the end of harvest season to celebrate a harvest. It also included a, a ceremony that marked the autumn equinox, um, the, 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 the change of you know, the nights getting longer, uh, the light getting lower, right? And, and so they would have these four huge stands and each of the four stands held four golden bowls uh, and they were in the out around the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem so there were 16 of these huge bowls and they could only be reached by ladders uh, and so they would have to each night climb the ladders and they would light these bowls that they filled with oil they would light these huge torches uh, out in the outer courtyard of the temple and in a world that didn't have electricity uh, and didn't have public lighting after dark, the, the light from these 16 uh, burning bowls of oil would have been brilliant, would have been uh, a really amazing sight to see throughout the entire city of Jerusalem. Uh, and during, during the lighting and, and during the night, choirs would sing and, and people would dance in the streets and carry torches and sing songs and praises. And it was this big festival. And this is right where Jesus is standing. In verse 12, in John chapter 8, he's in the temple court where the lighting ceremony just took place. He's standing under 16 lit bowls of, of flaming oil, and he says that he is the true light for the whole world. As cool as this is, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And that's not the first time in the Bible that God expressed himself with light. In Exodus, Moses experienced God as, as fire burning in a bush. And later on, uh, after the people left Egypt, God's presence was fire during the night that would lead the people uh, through the desert. Once the tabernacle is set up later in the Old Testament, God's presence is signified when the, there's fire in the lampstand. When the lampstand is lit, God is, is in the tabernacle. Uh, after Jesus was born, bright angels appeared to, to a group of shepherds. The light of a star led wise men from a, a long distance away to find him in Bethlehem. 
Um, Simeon uh, later called him a light for revelation to the Gentiles in, in Luke 2.32 when uh, Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And Matthew quoted Isaiah 9.2, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus himself said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. God and light are connected throughout the whole Bible and no one uses the metaphor of light more than John. John wrote one of the four gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but John's gospel is different. John doesn't tell the Christmas story the way Matthew and Luke do. Uh, Typically when we read the Christmas story, we read some from Matthew, some from Luke. John's Christmas story is different. Um, He doesn't give us a lot of the details. He doesn't start with an angel or a manger or shepherds. John starts with the significance of the birth of Jesus. He doesn't tell us what happened. John starts his gospel telling us why it happened. And so let's look together today at the gospel of John. We're gonna be in in chapter one at the very beginning of the gospel of John. And we're gonna read the first 14 verses together here in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to the light concerning that light Uh, I'm sorry, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It's not a coincidence that John chapter one sounds like Genesis chapter one. In Genesis, God lights up the darkness. He breathes life into his creation. And that's exactly what Jesus does in John's point of view. John identifies the word. The word is the the creative power of God at work in the world. Remember all the way back in Genesis, God said, God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. God's word was an active part of the creation process. And John identifies the word as Jesus. And and he carefully words his point that the word has always existed and the word will always exist. God didn't create the word. The word was with God in the beginning. And John goes even further to say the word actually was God. And this is the doctrine of the Trinity, that Jesus is the son of God sent from heaven, the word that created everything in the beginning, that who God is, the word is. 
what God does, the word does. The word was with God and the word was God. I don't know how to explain it, but that's what the Bible teaches. That when Jesus speaks or acts or heals or forgives, it is God himself at work. And so the word who, who was both with God and who was God became flesh. God himself put on our humanity and he became like us in every way except our sin. God, God chose to make himself known to us in the body of a real historical human being. And so the idea that the, the word made his dwelling among us literally means that the word pitched his tabernacle in our midst. This is another reference to Old Testament, right? That, that Jesus put up his tabernacle right in the middle of his people. That, that God chose to live among his people in an even more personal way than he did in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. And John describes the very moment when the, the word put on flesh and entered the world, John describes that moment as light shining in darkness. And it's a darkness that's not neutral. It's a darkness that's hostile. It's a darkness that hates the light. The NIV uh, updated the, the language in their translation um, a while ago now, uh, but the NIV used to translate verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. That's what, that's what I learned growing up. That's the verse I learned growing up. The most recent translation in the NIV has changed understood to overcome. The darkness has not overcome it. So why the change? Well, it's because both are right. They, they, they come from a Greek word that means to grasp. The darkness has not grasped it. And you can grasp something with your mind and understand it, but you can also grasp something with your hand to control it or, or destroy it or manipulate it. And I think John intended both meanings when, when he wrote this verse. The darkness can't grasp the light. The darkness can't understand Jesus and the darkness can't control Jesus or destroy Jesus or manipulate Jesus. The light invades the darkness. It shines on every person. It exposes sin for what it truly is. And the darkness hates it. Because in the Bible, darkness isn't just the absence of light. Darkness is the presence of evil. So if the word came into the world and supported the way the world already thinks and acts and believes, if Jesus just came into the world and he was like, yeah, you guys are doing great, the darkness wouldn't hate it. The, the, the darkness would welcome it. Great, here's someone else who is, who is coming in and is supportive of our way of living. But if the, world, if the word comes into the world and names the darkness for what it really is, and describes sin for what it really does, if it calls out unbelief and selfishness, then the darkness will oppose it. And that's what we see. The word, the light comes into the world, the darkness opposes the light, but the light prevails. The light shines in the darkness. We live in a dark world, a dark world that rejects God's truth and replaces it with whatever truth is fashionable at the time. We live in a world that still today loves the darkness. And listen, we all have dark days. 
I don't want to pretend that just, you know, at, because, just because it's Christmas, everything's all okay all the time. We have days when we don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to get up and face the world around us. And as joyful as the Christmas season can be, the Christmas season especially can, can also be kind of a dark time for a lot of people. And, and I don't want to gloss over that, that that's true. Because even though the message of Christmas points us to, to God's promise of light, the way we celebrate Christmas can sometimes exaggerate the darkness. The way we, the way we run around and the, the pressure that we put on ourselves to make sure everything is just right and everything is just so and that we see each of the people that we need to see can, can be overwhelming. Um, Andy Stanley, I was watching a, a, a couple of his Christmas messages today. Andy Stanley, not today, this week. He says that Christmas reminds us that there are problems we can't solve, people we can't control, and expectations we can't meet. Now that's true all the time, but especially at Christmas, we get this reminder, right? We can't make everybody happy. We can't solve all the problems. And sometimes it just feels stressful. During a time when, when everything, everybody tells us it's supposed to be merry and bright, we often feel the darkness closing in. And sometimes we face, we face lots of different kinds of darkness, I think. Uh, sometimes the darkness we face is disappointment, where, where we lose a job or a relationship falls apart, or, or our health starts to deteriorate. And, and the holidays seem to exaggerate our disappointment. It makes it feel bigger because we, we feel like we're supposed to be happy at Christmas time, but we just can't bring ourselves to feel it. We, we face dark days of stress, overwhelmed uh, with responsibilities and with no time to get anything done. Our schedule is full, our wallet is empty, our body is exhausted, right? That's Merry Christmas. <laughs> and, and, and Christmas doesn't help that, right? Christmas just makes our schedule more full and our wallet more empty, right? And, and look, we face dark days of loss too. The, the loss of a loved one is more obvious when the family gathers at Christmas and they're missing. And instead of feeling blessed, we can feel empty. We, we face dark days of doubt at the, the uncertainties of our future, wh whether our job will continue or, or our health will hold up, whether we'll have enough money to make the bills uh, once Christmas is all done and we have to pay off the credit card. Um, everyone else seems so sure of themselves, uh, but we don't know. We, we, we have doubts. We, we have questions. And we face dark days of, of depression and anxiety and, and our mental health gets on top of us and it feels like the world is closing in on us and, and no one else seems to care because they're all going about their holiday plans um, and, I, and I don't know what to do. And listen, when you're facing dark days, you don't need the world's version of Christmas. When you're facing dark days, the way the world celebrates Christmas doesn't really cut it. When you're facing dark days, you need real Christmas. Christmas is just four days after the longest night of the year. The most darkness, the most physical darkness in the, in the, in the length of a day comes just four days before Christmas Day. And so when we are in the, the darkest part of our year, what we really need is light. Presents are great. Decorations are fun. Family 
is good for a while. <laughs> but what we really need in our darkness is light, but only if it's the true light. John, John points out that the true light is come into the world. In verse six, John steps away for a second from describing Jesus as the word and as the light to point out that there was this man sent from God uh, before Jesus named John. And I wasn't talking about himself in this instance. He usually doesn't name himself. He just brags about himself that he's the one that Jesus loved. But when he's talking about John, he's talking about John the Baptist here, right? Uh, someone came before Jesus named John and he specifically mentions that John was not the light but John was a witness to the light. John the Baptist had an important part to play in the Christmas story, but, but the Christmas story is not about him. And that's true about a lot of things, I think, that, that we make important around Christmas. The presents are not the light. They're great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I've never really met anyone that hates getting presents. They're not the light. The decorations are not the light. Holiday baking, not the light. Now, don't stop doing it, because I love eating when you guys bake, but not the light. Even, even time with our family, as, as important as it is, that is not the light. Those can all be great things to help us celebrate Christmas, but, but Christmas isn't about any of those things. The, the very next verse tells us why. The true light that gives light to everything was coming into the world. The true light shines on everyone. The true light is for everyone. Just two chapters later in, in the same uh, gospel of John, John says this, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know that part, but I'm gonna keep going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have been done has been done in the sight of God. Not in a braggy way. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light to show everyone that look what God has done for me. Not look what I've done. Look what God has done for me. Look what the light can do for you. Jesus didn't come just to save a few. He came to save the world, all of humanity, every one of us that lives on earth and has a habit of embracing sin and darkness. And the light of Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to expose the darkness and reveal it for what it really is, to show us what's all around us, to show us that, that this is what you've been choosing and this is where it's leading you, to shine a light on the darkness. And those who see the light and recognize the hopelessness of their situation have one responsibility, to believe. 
We don't even have to drag ourselves out of the darkness. God will do that. We don't even have to do more good than bad to balance out the naughty and nice list. God will take care of that. We just have to believe. We just have to trust in Jesus and embrace our new identity as a child of God. God will do the heavy lifting. God will shine the light in our darkness. We just have to trust him. And John expands on the idea of the light. Uh, later in the New Testament, John writes three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He's very creative in the way he named his books. Uh, and in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7, John writes, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. A God of light expects us to live lives that are saturated with light. A God of light expects us to give up walking in darkness. Now, walking in darkness, living in darkness, that's a habit. Uh, a God of light doesn't expect you to be perfect. I don't want to add to your stress this holiday season. A God of light expects you to develop a habit of choosing light over darkness. That's a different thing. God, doesn't, God isn't hammering you when, you when you fall down and make a mistake. God is just inviting you back into the light. Um, and so a God of light expects us to, to, to live in the light, um, to, to not pursue a habit of living in darkness. Because um, the habit of living in darkness is, is a determination to choose sin instead of God as our regular way of living. But, but li that living in the light, walking in the light, the way John urges us to, that's a habit too. It's the reverse habit. It's a habit of, of choosing God over sin, a habit of choosing light over darkness. Now, again, we don't do it perfectly, but we make it our habit. We walk in the light. And walking in the light, John says, it leads to, to fellowship with others. It leads to a community, which Steve is going to touch on uh, next week. And in next week's Christmas, Christ, Christmas message, um, it leads to community. And it leads to an ongoing awareness of needing forgiveness and being forgiven. Walking in the light, the light exposes things. You can't lie when, when you're living in the light. You can see the truth all around you. So you can't lie to yourself anymore. Um, it, it exposes our lies that we tell ourselves and, and it, it highlights that I need to be forgiven. I need Jesus. I need the light of Jesus to forgive me. And so we live in this humility of I can't do it on my own. I need forgiveness. But also uh, it highlights that I have been forgiven that God is not holding all of my sins against me uh, so that on Christmas morning, I wake up to a lump of coal. I've been forgiven. I need forgiveness and I've been forgiven. Because walking in the light, it just, it won't keep you from ever having another dark day. Man, I wish it would. I wish that's how it worked. I, I wish that, that it was just like, you, you know, you flip that switch, the light comes on and it's, you know, happy trails from now on. No dark days anymore, but it just, that's not how it works. The world's a broken place. The darkness hates the light and the darkness is all over the place in the world. And so, yeah, that darkness 
is hostile to the light and to the bearers of the light. You know, remember in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus calls us the light of the world, right? So, so Jesus himself says that he's the light of the world, but, but then Jesus puts that on us. You know, walk in the light and then also be the light. Carry the light uh, into the world. Expose and illuminate the darkness. And man, the darkness doesn't like that. So walking in the light doesn't keep you from ever having another dark day, but it will give you what you need to expose the darkness for what it really is. Walking in the light brings encouragement when we're disappointed. You didn't get the promotion or the the diagnosis that you were hoping for, but Jesus is still Emmanuel. Jesus is still God with us who lived on earth and experienced disappointment just like we do. He knows what it's like to feel disappointed. Walking in the light brings strength when, when we're stressed out. No matter how many things you're trying to juggle this holiday season, God promises rest and peace if you turn to him in prayer. And Jesus doesn't add to our stress with a, a to-do list of his own. He, he simply asks us to follow him, to let him do the heavy lifting, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He asks us to trust him, let him do the heavy lifting. I, I promise you rest and not stress. Walking in the light brings comfort when you're experiencing loss. God promises eternal life to whoever believes in him, which means there's a reunion coming with the ones we've lost. It means that this life that we experience right now, this fight with the darkness, this is not all there is. There's more. And man, I bet, I don't know this for sure, but I bet they do a pretty good job celebrating Christmas in heaven. I mean, I bet it's pretty awesome, right? Like as, as, as all out as we like to go down here, I bet Christmas in heaven is pretty awesome. And there's gonna be a reunion with the ones we've lost. And we will celebrate Christmas Again, walking in the light gives guidance when we're filled with doubt. After Jesus claims to be the light of the world in John 8, 12, he makes a promise. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is not angry when we doubt. I wanna be clear about this. We did a whole sermon series uh, about this a while back called Room for Doubt. And I think that uh, the church in general throughout history hasn't done a, a stellar job at being accepting of doubts. We like to, to hammer doubt out of people. Um, but listen, Jesus isn't afraid of doubt. You know, there's the famous story of Thomas, right? Where Thomas says, hey, unless I see it for myself. And Jesus is like, Thomas, sorry, I'm done with you. No, that's not what Jesus says, right? Jesus shows up and he, and he gives Thomas what Thomas has been asking for. He shows Thomas the scars, right? And he says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. But he, I, I don't imagine Jesus saying that in like an angry way. He's not mad at Thomas. He, he indulges the doubt that Thomas has to help Thomas along and give him what he needs to believe. Jesus isn't afraid of our doubts. It's okay. He's not, God's not afraid of questions. He invites us to, to trust him, 
but, but that includes, that's a, a, the process of trusting him includes, yeah, but what if this? Or, but what about that? You can bring your questions to God. He loves when we bring our questions to him. And, and in a world where it's increasingly unacceptable to question what we're told, this is refreshing for me. We live in a world where, where people are trying to tell you, do this, believe this, act this way, and don't question it, just do what we say. God's not like that. God invites our questions, God invites our doubts, God is okay with those things. Because God shines the light, and in the light, our questions get answered, and, and through trusting Jesus and walking in the light, our, our, our doubts uh, often begin to fade away and, and become less important and less huge in our mind as we start to follow Jesus and trust him. So walking in the light uh, offers guidance when we doubt. And finally, offer, walking in the light gives us hope when we're depressed. John tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's as true today as it was when, when John wrote it almost 2,000 years ago that the light is still shining in the darkness and the darkness still has not overcome it. And it's not for lack of trying, but no matter how hard the darkness tries, the light just keeps shining. The darkness in our lives, all the, the disappointment and the hurt and the pain, the, the betrayal and, and the abuse, all the bad things that you've seen in your life, all of those things have not overcome the light that Jesus brought and placed in us. The light shines brighter. And God has promised that, that the darkness, not only has it, has it not overcome the light, Jesus has promised that it cannot extinguish the light. The darkness cannot, will not extinguish the light. No matter how bad things get, the light will prevail. The darkness will not win. And so on the very first Christmas, God brought us all a gift. The true light to, to light up our lives and to drive the darkness away for good. Let's pray. Father, man, thank, thank you for the light. Thank you that, that Jesus came, put on our humanity, experienced everything we experienced, uh, walked the, the, same, uh, the same earth that, that we walk today. Father, thank you that 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 Jesus didn't stay a little baby as much as we want to celebrate that at Christmas. That's amazing. But that Jesus grew up and he grew up to say what he said and do what he did and conquer sin and death once and for all so that the light will shine and conquer the darkness forever. It's in Jesus' name, amen. When we take communion every week and John's gospel, uh, it's not about a, a message that, that offers us hope. It's about the message, the word, that is our only hope. It's not just one message among the many. It's, it's the only hope that we have. It's, it's not about an idea. It's about a person. The word became flesh 
and entered our world as a baby to, to show us what God is really like, that he's not hidden away for just a few super spiritual people to discover, but God is here for us all. He made his dwelling among us to be heard and seen and touched. And eventually, accused and insulted and beaten and killed. And we take communion every week in this church to focus our attention on that moment on the cross, a time where the Bible says darkness covered the world. When there should have been light, Jesus hung on the cross and darkness covered the world while Jesus was dying. A time that when it looked like darkness would overcome the light. The light light was nailed to a cross and the world was dark. And it was a time that lasted just three days. Three days before the light returned for good forever. And so when the tray passes by, uh, take a set of cups. Uh, There's uh, bread on the bottom and juice on the top because it wouldn't work the other way around. Um, Take a set of cups, hold on to them uh, until we can all take communion together. His body given for us, his blood poured out for our sin. Amen. So this Christmas, when you turn on the lights on your tree or outside your house, or when you drive by a light display, let it remind you to walk in the light that Jesus brings to shine in the darkness. Why don't we sing one more song this morning as we're dismissed?